Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. I'm worried about the RNC becoming his personal piggy bank. I mean, I think we saw that he spent $50 million of campaign contributions on his own personal court cases. Now he's taking over the RNC before he's even named any sort of nominee by putting his daughter-in-law as chair, by putting his campaign manager as the director, by them saying they're just going to focus on him. You can give up the House and the Senate. I mean, first of all, I'll tell you, there's no way that Donald Trump is going to win this election. If Ukraine will be alone, you, you have to understand what will be. Russia will destroy us, destroy Baltic, destroy Poland, and they can do it. see the video he drank uh he drank a glass of water in east palestine ohio they brought him a glass of water how much you want to bet that that water glass and that water came from the white house with like saran wrap protection on top of it so that they could say have some of our east palestine water and he's like Zelensky, 704-570-1110, News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. I am Brett Witterbull. It's great to be with you. I I have uh, wanted to spend this time with you uh, for for a number of minutes. Coming up in the second hour of the program, I'm going to have observations on on things worth talking about, for real. Uh, Big stuff. But this, I think, is fantastic. And it's only a matter of time before Merrick Garland is going to deploy the entire FBI to round all of these people up, lock them down, throw them in the J6 gulag, you name it. National Review with this piece. Truckers vow to cut off deliveries to New York City in protest of Trump's $355 million civil fraud ruling. You had me at civil fraud ruling. Truckers have indicated they will soon cut off deliveries to New York City in protest of former President Donald Trump's civil fraud case, by the end of which he was ordered on Friday to pay $355 million to Kathy Hochul and Tish James in penalties for multiple fraud counts related to his business empire. Now, understand, this is the... National Review, they don't like Trump, but they're writing about it. So I think this is interesting. A trucker and conservative social media influencer known as Chicago Ray on X. You see, just that alone disturbs me because it sounds like there's a guy called Chicago Ray who is on X. And I wouldn't want you driving a truck if you're driving that on X. I can't afford to have you stop every four minutes and hug somebody. Okay? I can't, I can't afford that. He's probably going around going, hey, man, I love you so much. What a great party. Really, what's wrong with you? Uh, no, I'm Chicago Ray on X. What's, 
What's he like the rest of the week? I, I don't know. But um, the, announce was, the announcement was made on Friday night in a video that has now garnered 6 million views and 56,000 likes at the time of this writing. In the viral clip, Chicago Ray claimed he and some of his colleagues who support Trump will stop delivering loads to New York City once the coming work week begins. This I like. You need to lay siege to the cities, to the bluest of the blue cities. But more than that, you have got to lay siege to the entirety of the state of New York. Nobody should be bringing anything into the state of New York. Let them grow their own crops. Let them grow their own criminals. We don't need to bring anything into the state of New York and, and do it with New York and then spread it out to some other states. You have that power. You could actually bring them to, 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 to their knees. I think it's phenomenal. I've been on the radio talking to drivers for the past hour, and I've talked about 10 drivers, and they're going to start refusing loads to New York City starting on Monday, he said in a video while sitting in his truck. I'm, I'm really hoping he wasn't on X. Um, Ray said he wasn't sure how far across this country this is going to happen or how many truckers will join the protesting against the decision for Trump. But I tell you uh, what, you blank around and you find out. Our bosses ain't going to care if we deny the load. We'll just go somewhere else. Do you know how blanking hard it is to get into New York City with one of these blankety blanks? That's the, uh, the truck. The blankety blank. But he had colorful language. The trucker said, referring to the truck, man, boop, boop, that. That was an official boop, boop, that. I just I just I just got to tell you, this is incredible. Later in the video, Ray claimed 95 or 96 percent of American truckers support Trump over President Biden. Notably, the former president reposted Ray's video on his true social page. So now we have to wait and see. I, you know what? Donald Trump's going to be able to work through all this stuff and he'll figure it out. And he's got lawyers and all that sort of stuff. But this is creating panic in New York City. They are freaking out because they said the quiet part out loud earlier uh, or earlier this weekend when they declared Kathy Hochul. Anybody ever read a book called Billy Goat's Gruff? Billy Goat's Gruff. Kathy Hochul is the person that spends time under the bridge. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm serious when I say that. So, so if you've ever read Billy Goat's Gruff, Kathy Hochul, the governor of the state of New York, is the person that guards the underbridge area. She's she's in that bridge area there. And so she came out and said that this case only applies to Donald Trump and that it's very likely this will not happen to anybody else. So there shouldn't be a panic. There should not be a panic uh, about other people getting charged. This case was specifically brought to take out Donald Trump. Now, that is a big declaration. And I got a feeling the SCOTUS is going to find uh, a, a very interesting sort of uh, case that they're going to have to rule on in this regard. Remember, Angaron, that weirdo, uh, that, that weirdo who runs around uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a taxi cab uh, doing I don't know what. I don't want to be brought into this. You know, it's none of my business, but he's a real weirdo. Uh, Tish James, real weirdo. And then Kathy Hochul. So now you have all these truckers who are saying we're, we're, we're not going to bring stuff into New York. I would recommend you not bring anything into New York. I would also add to that Chicago and Los Angeles, California. I would say, you know what? 
If you need food, you better figure out a way to start growing it. Eleven ten ninety nine three WBT. It is the Brett Witterbull Show. Seven zero four five seven zero eleven ten. Good to be with you. Uh, lots of stuff happening from across the weekend. In addition to the the truckers saying they're going to cut off the deliveries, lots of other stuff happening out there. Joe Biden went and drank water at uh, East Palestine, Ohio, and uh, we we are we are going to uh, take a look uh, later on in the program at the woat. Do you know what the woat is? The worst of all time, the worst presidents of all time. Uh, there is a uh, quite quite a run there as it relates to w- what we're looking at. I'm wondering when this is going to happen here in North Carolina. I- I'm relatively certain this will not happen in South Carolina, but I wonder when you are going to have uh, Roy Cooper or or whoever becomes the the governor next come up with this idea. Gretchen Whitmer is looking for residents of Michigan to house migrants in their homes. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, Office of Global Michigan. They have an office called the Office of Global Michigan. Right there, I'm never setting foot in the state. I mean, I know Hillsdale's there. Uh, I know there's like lots of great people there. I have family there. Uh, But as long as you have an Office of Global Michigan... I'm just I'm not I'm not going anywhere near the state, but the Office of Global Michigan is looking for resident volunteers to house illegal aliens in their homes and integrate them into society. ABC 12 reports Whitmer's administration is seeking volunteers to do several tasks, including meeting the person or family at the airport, finding them some housing, enrolling their kids in school and help with finding employment for adults. The Michigan Department of Labor and Economic Development says residents who participate must make a 90-day commitment to apparently meet every migrant need. Programs like the Welcome Corps advance the Office of Global Michigan's mission. Let me read that again, because I kind of felt like Biden for a second. Programs like the Welcome Corps advance the Office of Global Michigan's mission to make Michigan the home for opportunity for immigrants, refugees, and ethnic communities. See what they're doing, though, because Poppy Hernandez is running the Global Michigan office. They, they don't make a differentiation between people who are emigrating legally into the United States slash Global Michigan and people who have just come in because they just want to come in. Like, there has to be a differentiation, I would guess. Potential uh, candidates are of Cuban, Haitian, Nicaraguan, Venezuelan nationality, according to the Whitmer agency. In a similar program in Boston, a woman took in a Haitian family and scored her own personal chef in the deal. What? No way. No way. Oh, my gosh. Lisa Hillenbrand took a family of Haitians into her house. And then put them to work doing chores and cooking. What? I, I'm not even, I, I don't even, I'm not even, I don't have a take on this. I don't even know. So 
they brought a family of Haitians to this lady's house. And she put them to work doing chores and cooking. Hmm. She says, uh, it's a delight. And it's really fun having them. Uh, they don't see it, do they? They, they, they don't see it. They, because the people on the left don't see it. They don't see that you're going to put these people as like your house, your house people. Like what are you paying them? Are you paying a minimum wage? Are you paying them anything? This is what see, this is why I'm, I'm sorry. I have to be honest with you, folks. I have to be honest with you. I I grew up in a lot of places. I've lived in a lot of places. This is atrocious. So this is basically forced servitude. Uh, I'm just telling you right now. And, and these, these elites think that this is like an awesome deal. How much are you paying them? Are you paying them? Is Michigan paying them? Who, who is paying for this? Wow. Wow. You know, Democrats always revert to the mean. I'm sorry, but they always revert to the mean. And if you don't know what that means, you can look up the phrase, what it means to regress or to revert to the mean. Because that's, that's, this is, I mean, this is like foundational. This is foundational for that party. I mean, I'm sorry, but one party was abolitionist. The other party was not abolitionist. And um, this idea that you're going to take people into your house and then you're going to make them do stuff for you in your house. I feel like Merrick Garland should go over there and like help them out. Robert, welcome to the show. Hey, bring it every night, dog. Thank you, buddy. I, uh, I just had a quick uh, couple points. The first, um, I would love to see Caitlin Clark and Steph Curry, our very own Davidson Steph Curry. Yes, sir have a contest from about 30 feet. And I do not know who will win that contest. Uh, I'm sure you, you may have seen the in, the WNBA player who gave Steph all he could handle uh, mm -hmm. uh, this weekend. Uh, Steph had to, I believe he had to make his last four shots to overtake her. And there he was not sandbagging in any way. Mm -hmm. And he barely won that contest. But I want to see Steph and Caitlin Clark shooting it from about 30 feet that would be fantastic that would be amazing that would be you know what that would be like that would be like the bobby riggs uh, uh billy jean king uh matchup right i mean that that would be incredible i'd love to see it <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It is the Brett Witterbull Show, 704-570-1110. Good to be with you. Uh, everything is basically fair game from across the weekend. Uh, across the weekend into last week, if you have uh, thoughts, takes, what have you, we're certainly happy uh, to hear this. Um, I, I, have to, I have to fulfill you, though, with the, with the truth here uh, about something. Um, I, I am increasingly disturbed by what I see going on in space, and I know... 
People hate when I talk about space. I hate when I talk about space. But I feel like everybody's got to have this information because this is freaking me out. Astronomers find what they say may be the universe's brightest object with a black hole devouring a sun a day. Uh, uh, what? Astronomers have discovered what may be the brightest object in the universe, a quasar, with a black hole at its heart growing so fast that it swallows the equivalent of one sun per day, like our sun per day. I thought I, I thought that the, the reaper was the hottest pepper. But apparently this thing can, can eat a sun a day. The record-breaking quasar shines 500 trillion times brighter than our sun. How do you even, how do, you even do that? 500 trillion times brighter than our sun. The black hole powering the distant quasar is more than 17 billion times more immense than our sun. That's according to an Australian-led uh, team. And they know about hot weather. Good eye, mate. While the quasar resembles a mere dot in images, the scientists have envisioned a ferocious place. The rotating disk around the quasar's black hole, the luminous swirling gas, and the other matter from gobbled-up stars is like a cosmic hurricane. Whew, there it is. Rock ya. Like a hurricane. The quasar is the most violent place that we know in the universe. Have you been to Chicago? That according to lead author Christian Wolf of Australian National University, the European Southern Observatory spotted the object. It's got a really sexy name. Wow, what a sexy name. J O five two nine four three five one. J O five two nine four three five one. Why don't you just I really why don't you just call it hotspot or something? You know, like the hotspot perimeter or something. I think you want to know what I think this is though? It, now don't come at me unless you really want to, seven oh four five seven oh eleven ten. What if this is hell? What if they found hell? Five hundred trillion times hotter than our sun? I mean that's gotta be hell ish. That's gotta be hell. Maybe they found it. Now, question. If they found hell, do you think people would acknowledge that's hell? Like, or are they going to be like, we, we don't believe in hell. We're scientists. We don't believe in hell. There's no such thing as hell. We don't care. I wonder about that. Because what if, what if they just found hell? Like, they just, they're like, hey, we're looking at the charts here. We're looking at the charts right here. This is where hell is. You don't want to go anywhere near that. Repent. Turn your way. Turn your ways in the right direction, and, and and that sort of stuff. I do wonder if, like, if they if they did discover hell, and this was hell, not Chicago. Um, I, I just it makes you wonder, right? I mean, what if they did find it, and what if that's what it is? The exciting thing about the quasar. See, that's not exciting to me. That's. The exciting thing about the quasar is that it's hiding in plain sight and was misclassified as a star previously. Well, a lot of people who were stars did end up in hell. I mean, can we 
Can we be honest about this? There's a number of people who you would look at and you're like, you are a star. Oh, you did what? Welcome to hell. It just, I mean, it just makes you wonder about that. I believe that hell exists, by the way. I am a, I am a believer. I am a Christian. I'm a believer. So I, I don't like, I, I don't say this sort of stuff lightly. But I do wonder, like, because at some point there's going to be a nexus, right? There's going to be a nexus of, of science and faith. Like, it's going to get combined at some point. And you have to remember, some of the greatest scientists, some of the greatest scientists were actually, um, were actually uh, uh, Catholic uh, priests and and uh, believers and all of this stuff. They were looking to try to unpack the world, right, to understand how these things happen. When you go through the list of these folks, you know, you see a, a number of incredible things. Now, now, listen, one of the people I would kick loose is Thomas Malthus, right? Thomas Malthus. He, he was he, he's that's not a guy. That's not a guy that I want to be kicking it with because Thomas Malthus's theory, they, they used to call it the Malthusian nightmare was he felt like you have to not take care of people who are really sick because you have to let them die because otherwise we're going to be overpopulated. But you know what? He, he wasn't even really that radical. I mean, that's, that's the environmental movement of the, of the modern era anyways, that position where they're like, well, we don't think those people are worth saving, so we're not going to save them. We'll save the elites at the World Economic Forum. But uh, I, I do think when you look at these sorts of, of things and there is for sure going to be a nexus there will be a nexus of uh the scientific approach and then faith because what is the purpose of what we're doing now with these incredible telescopes that are up in space right they're trying to find the beginning of the universe right they're trying to find uh, essentially what was the big bang you know the big bang is a is 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 has was developed by people who were faithful believers. And so you have all of these sorts of things that are kind of meeting at a nexus point. And the question then becomes, okay, if you're looking, are you going to find not just, you, you won't just find hell, but what happens if you think you have found the genesis moment of the universe? Because that's what they're doing. I mean, they're pointing those, they're pointing those, um, those massive telescopes way out, and they're trying to get to the place where they say, this is the beginning uh, of life uh, as we know it as a result of uh, the Big Bang. That's, that's what we're trying to find, and what happens when you find it? Or, or, or are you able to then take the lessons from these sorts of things and then fold them into your life where you make a decision and you say, you know what, I want to be on the right side of human history and humanity and not on the wrong side. Remember what I just said. Plenty of stars have gone to hell. Something to think about. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. This is the way you shouldn't do things. This is why some people can't have nice things. Uh, let me let me share this with you. A Texas homeowner chased down and fatally shot a man who stole his barbecue pit, feel, fear, fearing for his safety. A Texas homeowner chased down and shot an alleged thief who stole a barbecue pit from his property over the weekend. The deadly confrontation took place early Sunday in the city of Humble. 
when an unidentified man attempted to drive off with the barbecue pit, leading the homeowner to pursue him in his own vehicle. This is out over by uh, uh, Harris County, so this is like Houston-ish. The owner caught up with the accused thief and his passenger a short distance from the house when he got out of his car and approached the pair, uh, the sheriff said. The homeowner, who was fearing for his safety, fired off several rounds toward the suspect because he thought his counterpart was reaching for a firearm. The alleged thief was pronounced dead at the scene. The other individual who was with the deceased man was not hit by gunfire and is not facing any charges. The homeowner cooperated with the investigators and provided a detailed statement on the. Okay, so hold on a second. He didn't really, like, they stole his barbecue pit. He didn't, like, go out and shoot them dead for stealing the pit. He went to confront them to get his pit back, and then I guess things went bad. Those things are kind of heavy, though. I mean, that's like, what do you do? Like, are you going up to somebody's house and being like, hey, that's a really nice one. Let's just steal that. Right? I mean, is it different if it was, if it was smoking at that point? And you did. They took the whole. They took the whole. The whole thing. That 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 might that might be a factor. It depends on how long into the cook you are. Well, let's say. Let's say you're, t- you're twelve hours into a brisket, and let's they li- walk away with your. Here's what I'm. Here's Ooh. here's what I'm assigning you. I'm giving you. You ready? You've got twelve hours into a brisket. You've already put the Boston butt up on there, man, as well, and you got hot links. With, uh, with the hot links, with like the jalapeno inside the hot links, a little yeah. bit there. Well, first of all, and a, ra- defi- and a rack of ribs. We're definitely over the nine hundred dollars at that point. If you've got that much on, <laughs> jeez. Well, okay. But, uh, and, and ribs. Ooh, now, man. if you've got the ribs on the smoker, are you smoking beef ribs or are you smoking pork ribs? Beef. Are you gonna give me both? Beef. Well, yeah. Why not? If there's option, if there's room. Both. A, it's a big. It's a yeah. big. It's a big setup. Bring it on. I mean, that's. It's a lot of work. The problem is you got to open it up. You're losing that smoke. They all got different times, you know. So, okay, so hold on a second. Now I got to think about this. Do you think the sheriff's department impounded the smoker for evidence? Yes, evidence. I need to see the evidence. We'll need it until the 5th of July. It won't. It's not going to still be good then. Well, the grill will be. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. See, just go out and buy your own smoker. Go out and smoke. Just right. And I, you know what? And can I, can, I, can I just take a position here, and it's probably an unpopular position? Is the, is the green egg, is that a smoker? No. That, see, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a barbecue, right? It's a faker? Yeah. It's not a smoker. It's a faker? It's It's fine. It's if it's fine. It's fine. It'll do you. It'll do. It'll it'll do. It's fine. Wow. Mail all correspondence to TJ at WBT. It's fine. Jim, welcome to the program, Jim. What's on your mind today? <clears throat> yes, thank you for having me on. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, the smoker you get, the the more barbecue you are. Oh, little play on the old uh, Joe Walsh reference. Very nice. Yes, trying to incorporate Joe Walsh in today's festivities. Um, 
Before we get started, though, before I, uh, on another week of Radio Gold, I just want to say to anybody who's out there that's planning on uh, pushing the show killer button while I'm on, I just want to say one thing. Yes. Don't. Okay. Nobody's pushing the button. I've got a really... I've got a really weird scowl on my face right now, in case you can't see it. Okay. Okay. What's but, on your mind? Let's talk about this strike. This is amazing stuff. This is the greatest thing since the Boston Tea Party. Here, good Americans are rising up and starting to take their country back. I have advice for a lot of people uh, that are out there on the eastern seaboard of what you can do things you can do to be proactive, to help these truckers out. Absolutely. A transportation is everything. To a city like New York, the logistics of keeping them supplied on a daily basis is a marvel of modern technology. And it doesn't take much to, to mess it up. But so the truckers are on the right... There are, um, they're uh, on the, the right track. We also have people that handle uh, ship handlers, the tugboat drivers, the stevedores. Those people can uh, refuse to fuel ships. They can. There's people at the, uh, that work on the uh, tarmacs at the airports. They can refuse to turn around the airplanes, mm-hmm. fuel them, mm-hmm. and service them when they're on the ground. That'll mess up the airport like nobody's business. There is... Um, uh, the people that work the rail yards, the people that work on the bridges, keeping the bridges open, uh, taking the tolls, maintaining the bridges. They, there is a number of things you can do to the bridge. Call for maintenance, structural engineering, an emergency structural engineering uh, inspection. You, I think I see a massive crack here. Call in and say we need to close the bridge to see about this structural integrity of this bridge. There's a number of things that can be brought to bear if everybody starts starts uh, 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 working together and getting on the same page. Well, but here's the New question. New York City. Here's the question, though, for you. Here's the question for you. Is it going to have an impact on a place like New York City? Because most of the people who you know, would want to see a particular outcome of an election are probably, they've probably split the scene already, don't you think? Let me give you an example, and this is uh, one of the buildings that uh, it has to be, uh, when they're under construction, Yeah. when one of those buildings is under construction, in order to get the transit mix trucks to get into the city, the transit mix drivers have to be at the yard in New Jersey at 3 o'clock in the morning. Wow. 3 o'clock in the morning. That's going to take a lot of work. All right, great stuff, Jim. I appreciate you being out there. Plenty more straight ahead. News Talk 1110-993 WBT. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. It is the Brett Woodrible Show. Good to be with you. 704-570-1110. So, as, as circumstances happen, every year at about this time, uh, it's, it's my anniversary of hosting here on WBT Radio. And uh, I, I've said repeatedly, it, it has been the absolute pleasure of having this opportunity. And uh, over the weekend, Saturday, I had an opportunity to, uh, to reflect on things. Um, because when I first got here at WBT, uh, I was very excited. I, I remain very excited to this day. But when I first got here... You know, it was a it was a, it was a dream come true. But right as I was getting here, you know, we had gotten the news that that Rush was was ill. And, um, you know, certainly as a as a friend of mine and as somebody who was a, um, uh, a a tremendous force in my life as it related to talk radio and as it related to broadcasting, et cetera. You know, I oftentimes would would think about Rush and in that first year, you know, I was pulling for him and, and rooting for him. And and unfortunately, um, he, he got to a place where he, he couldn't host all the time. And I was asked to be a fill in host uh, for him a couple of times. And, and then we, we lost him uh, on on the anniversary of my coming to, to Charlotte. And I'm not I'm not trying to equate it with anything, but, you know, it's a, it's it always makes me uh, sad on that day uh, because he was uh, such a tremendous uh, uh, influence in my life. And watching the craft of broadcasting that that he was able to, um, uh, to to really perfect in so many ways, and so I was thinking about that over the weekend, and I had posted up some comments uh, over at uh, over at X and over at the my Facebook page, um, you know, just uh, expressing my gratitude, uh, not not just uh, for the, the great people here in, in Charlotte and beyond, but but also you know thankful for for him uh, having you know, allowed me to, to work with him as closely as he did for the years that he did. And so, you know, I, I think what's important, and I've thought about this over the last, you know, few years, um, what, what's important is to, I think, focus on the excellence that he brought. And I know it was the excellence in Broadcasting Network and uh, well aware of the great people that, that were surrounding him. But if you think about the standard that is set at any given point with any given person, you know, you have to think about where you came from and how you developed as a result of what they did. And it can be somebody that you take as an inspiration that you may never meet or they may never meet you or or they may only meet you for just a couple of moments. And so that's that's a, a hugely important thing to, to think about. Because craft is such an important part of communication. The ability to tell a story, the ability to pace, the, the ability to um, take people in in an intimate way with you on a journey. I, I heard uh, over the weekend somebody uh, commenting about the fact that there really is no more um, radio drama per se, obviously, right? The, the, the old days of, of, of those sorts of programs, some of them exist to a certain extent inside podcasting, but the idea that you would be in a studio telling a dramatic story um, and expressing that and, and taking those listeners 
on a journey, ebbing and flowing and uh, traveling with you the entire way. That really doesn't exist anymore because of the nature of communication these days. And I, I was reflecting back on his impact on my life and his impact on my craft. And there are tremendous broadcasters who have come through the doors at this radio station at WBT. And there are tremendous broadcasters that have uh, traveled uh, over, over the last, you know, 150, 200 years. And remember, it was Michael Harrison last week who talked about radio being technically in its third century. Um, it's incredible. It's incredible. And to be able to watch somebody do like what Rush did was was remarkable. There, there were times when I was supposed to be screening calls and I would be watching what he was doing and I would be engrossed in watching how he was doing what he was doing. And again, I, I said this this morning with Bo. One of the interesting parts of this is Rush was a broadcaster deaf longer than he could hear uh, when it came to the, the very successful EIB network. And he had to figure out a way to get to that place where he could continue to do that job. And I watched him do it, and it was, it was an unbelievable um, bit, of, uh, bit of technique. One of the things, and this, this has come out in the past from, from other people. I think James has talked about this, and other folks have talked about this. The, the reason why you never got music older um, uh, newer than the mid-90s, mid-late 90s, uh, was because Rush was not able to hear music that he had not heard before. He could hear music that he heard before. His brain was able to unscramble it, and, and he could hear that sound. But that's why you, you wouldn't hear him play music from 2007 and 2008, because it wasn't really the ability to hear that sort of sound. But um, he was somebody who was incredible in terms of an inspiration and an inspiration for people across this country. And I can tell you this without any reservation. Um, he, he encouraged me in my journey. He encouraged everybody who would check in with him uh, on their journey. And it was all about there being enough room for everybody uh, to get in there and, and chase that dream. He chased his dream. Um, he, his family wanted him to be a lawyer. And uh, he decided he was going to go after broadcasting. And uh, he chased his dream. And he encouraged me to chase my dream. And uh, that's, that's one of the things that I think was, was so important. Because when you listened to him and then you listened to the people who would be calling in, and I experienced this when I was in as a guide host, um, it was a very positive experience. It wasn't the caricature that you got from the lamestream media trying to make you think that he was some kind of an ogre or, or any of that sort of stuff. He loved this country immensely. And I know how proud he was when he received the, the, the Medal of Freedom. Uh, there at the uh, at the State of the Union address with President Trump. And we lost him far too young, but we have so much to take from that experience, that shared experience on that dramatic journey that we all took together, starting nationally in 1988 until the very last time he broadcasted uh, to, the, uh, to the audience, the broadcast. Um, and so... I will forever feel connected to him, and I will forever feel connected with each and every one of you all 
uh, here at WBT. And it's, uh, it's, it's been a, a pleasure of a ride, and I look forward to the future uh, and us doing incredibly great things. And so I just wanted to say a few words about that uh, because he was a tremendous influence in my life. News Talk Left Hand, 99.3 WBT, Brent Whittable Show. Let's uh, jump on the phones and talk to Eric next up. Eric, welcome to the program. Brett, what a privilege. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, I'm happy to have you. Well, listen, I uh, I was listening to Bo this morning on the radio, and uh, he mentioned Rush, and uh, I'm in my 60s, and i got to tell you, I never have called into a radio talk show, ever. And I lament the fact that I never called in during Rush. I just never felt adequate to add anything to what he did, but... I became a ditto head in the late 80s when he came on, and uh, what a privilege it's been to uh, follow through and hear hear one of his protégés every day, because you really do a great job, I have to say. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so, go ahead. No, no, I was. Uh, the floor is yours, my friend. Go for it. All right. Well, listen, um, you know, it's funny. I became, followed Rush all the way through the 80s, into the 90s, came down here, followed him my, after my father died, my mother uh, moved down here for about four years, and I turned her on to Rush Limbaugh, and uh, that was an uh, 06 through about uh, you know 2010, and she became an absolute avid ditto head, if you will, mm-hmm. and uh, and right up into her early 90s, and right up to uh, listening to Rush every day until literally a couple days before she went to heaven, and the irony of it is. She went to heaven two days before Rush did, and I don't think there could have been any greater meeting for her <laughs> than to get there and find Rush That's cool. was there too. So it was a, it was quite a. I, I really appreciate the fact that that, that happened the way it did, and uh, I, we lament. We all grew up on him, and uh, he had so much to do with forming us, who we are, what we think, how we approach politics, how we approach government. Mm-hmm. How we approach so much of our life, quite honestly. Uh, Rush was uh, just a, a wise counsel on so many different areas, and uh, and when I realized you were coming on air and you were, you know, with him that many years, I have to say I I, I listened to him many days, and I think he did not fall too far from that tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's very nice of you to say, but it's, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is a real tribute to him is everybody that I've ever run into, um, everybody has a, a first time I heard him or what I would do when he was on. Or, and, and that was, if you think about this, uh, especially in the world of like politics, okay, and, and the world mm-hmm. of, 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 the, of the culture, broadly speaking, um, th- there is a desperation for, for people um, to feel the, the left wants this, right? They, they want you to feel isolated like you're a kook, like you're, you're, yeah. you're, you don't know what you're talking about. But there is an army of people that listen to talk radio every day, at, you know, on all the different stations around the area, but especially with him, um, that kind of gathered together, like you were talking about your mom, uh, gathered together at a particular appointed time, and everybody was kind of in the show at the same time, um, whether they were driving, whether they were eating lunch, whether on the West Coast they were eating late breakfast, whatever it was. But everybody had that connectivity uh, in, in a way that, you know, I, I think Paul Harvey certainly uh, was able to do mm-hmm. that appointment sort of listening as well. Um, but it's really, it, that's, that's really high, high praise because he was able to stitch together a massive network um, of people that 
genuinely loved the the content of the show, which I thought was really special. Rush said what we all were thinking. There you go. He could not articulate the way he articulated. I mean, he was a great communicator, quite obviously, but he, he was the first one to really get out there and start questioning things that we all were questioning and, and making mm-hmm. observations that we all were saying, yeah, that's just not so, or that it should be like this or that. And, and Rush just was a huge unifier mm-hmm. of uh, conservative thought, quite honestly. It was it was uh, it was a, a remarkable opportunity to, to to be with him and to to see him at his uh, you know at his at his absolute best. Um, and so, Eric, I'm so happy you called in today, and I, I do appreciate uh, well, you you uh, you checking in with us. Well, I've got to say, um, I, I, I'm envious of you because you had something nobody else will ever have. And uh, I, I got another first. I'm out back, and as you know, my, my good friend Don Brown for Congress. And I've never been in politics before. Not that I'm running. I'm helping. But I just feel like we all need to step up and do our part because uh, we're at a critical time in history, and we need good people, amazing constitutional conservatives that are going up there and willing to fight the fight like uh, we know needs to be fought yeah, right now. Yeah, in, indeed. This, the, we, we have no shortage of patriots in this fight, and that's, uh, that, that's an incredible thing. Uh, great, great stuff. I, I appreciate you calling in today, and uh, be well, my friend. I, I really do appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. That's, that's Eric checking in uh, on that. And, you know, I mean, that's... It's it's an interesting time to be uh, to be alive in this country. We'll we'll uh, we will continue the conversation. We're going to look at some of the other news as well. But certainly, if you want to uh, uh, call in, you want to remember, you want to think about, um, you know, what Rush may have meant to you, you know, on this uh, the third anniversary of of his passing, um, just this weekend. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It is the Brett Witterbull Show. So it's President's Day, and this is where we're supposed to celebrate all the presidents, right? But let's be honest. Some presidents are more celebratory than others. Some of them have been real stinkers. Do you know which president is responsible for mac and cheese? A president is responsible for mac and cheese. Details straight ahead. Michael, welcome to the program. What's on your mind, sir? Hey, Brad. I just wanted to call in and, and say that love your show, and there's nobody that can replace Rush, but you're a close second. Oh, thank you. You're very nice. I appreciate that. And uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, – I graduated in 87, mm-hmm. and Rush came on the radio here in Charlotte in 91. I believe it was September. And uh, I was one of those proverbial – Skulls of mush. <laughs> right on. <laughs> and and I was not aware of that, but Rush uh, helped me in, in life and everything as far as uh, I was not voting. I was not even thinking about voting. My mindset was that I would never vote. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rush kind of shaped my thinking and kind of, I guess you would say he awakened me to what the life is really all about 
and that I needed to get serious with, with life and everything, and especially with being involved in uh, the political system. Sure. And uh, I'm I just so thankful for coming across his voice on the radio. You know, I was just coming out, going out to my car, sitting at lunchtime, listening to the radio and flipping around the stations, and I come across him. And once I started listening to him, something captivated me, and I just... I just couldn't quit listening. Now, I've been listening ever since, and, and up until the day his last show, he did. He was look. He was he was incredible. I've I've never seen um, anybody show prep like him. Like he he didn't like he didn't show prep. Like everything was show prep, and so he was constantly working and and, and looking at um, at different things. Um, an insatiable appetite for knowledge and. Uh, that that was that was readily obvious. I mean, w- yes, it, it showed. I mean, you you cannot mistake uh, the the amount of, of time and effort that that man put into his work and everything, mm-hmm. and also how much he loved his audience and everything. Yeah. It was not just a show for him. He was a real guy, and I can tell by the way you talk about him how he was a genuine guy. He was not very much put on or some fake. He, he was the real yeah. deal. He, he said, look, he said that a lot. He said, if, if you are not excited about what you're talking about, uh, broadly speaking, if you if you are not excited about what you're talking about, the audience is going to see right through it. It's going to feel forced. It's not going to the passion isn't going to be there. And that that's one of the most important lessons, I, I think. For anybody that's out there, and, and it doesn't matter if you're a, a broadcaster or if you're a teacher or, or if you've got a business, if you don't have that fire in the belly, uh, if it's not the sort of thing that you would do it for free uh, on a corner uh, if you didn't have the job, you know, that's that's what it comes down to. It comes down to that kind of passion. Um, and I, I think uh, it, it showed it showed every day. And it also showed with the way he battled deafness. He battled uh, uh, you know, being ill at the end of his life, and and he he I'm lived he what. lived for that show. <laughs> yeah. he, he right up until the end, man. He was not going to give up. No way. And that that was so inspiring to me too. It it, it kind of gets me choked up just thinking about how how dedicated he was. Yeah. Right up until the end. For sure. Hey, you're a great caller. Uh, thank you so much for for being on the show with me today, and. Thank you for your uh, for, right. for sharing. I appreciate you and WBT. They need to sign you to a, a very long term contract. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm look. I'm very honored for that, and uh, they're very, very, they're very, very kind and generous with me. So I appreciate All you right. being there. Thank Mike. you. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Mike is up next. Mike, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, Brett. How are you? I'm well. Um, thank you. Appreciate you letting me come on the show this afternoon. Of course. Um, thinking about Russia's passing. My brother and I, our parents passed a while back, and we like to remember them and celebrate their birthdays. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if anyone could be able to get away with this, playing his theme song, My City Was Gone by The Pretenders, Mm -hmm. on his birthday to open the show each year on January 12th. Yep would make a lot of people's day. I think. That's a great idea. I will put we will put that in the uh, we'll put that in the uh, in the suggestion pile. I think that's a phenomenal idea and um, I, I will I will definitely do that. Uh, I, I do appreciate that idea. It's a great one. Absolutely. Thanks so much for letting me say that. You're very welcome. Th- thanks Mike. I appreciate you being out there today. Jan, welcome to the program, Jan. Hello, hello. Hello? Hello, is this Jan? Sure is. Oh, Jan, welcome to the show. What's on your mind? 
Well, I have an answer to your question that I will tell you in a second, but I also will compliment Rush and you as well because I've enjoyed both of your shows. Oh, thank you very much. That's very, that's very, that's very nice of you. So, I, it's, I know your answer. Uh-oh. Um, uh-oh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. What's the answer? What is the answer for mac and cheese? Thomas Jefferson. Yes! Thomas Jefferson uh, was the guy who, who who got the mac and cheese going in, in the country. Well, you, you know, um, he spent all that time in France. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he had... Um, a son by Sally, who he trained as a French chef over there. That's right. And he brought that back from France. Mm-hmm. And I, I donate to the Monticello, and they do a magazine. And one of the recent magazines, it, it was mentioned about the macaroni and cheese. See, that's that's awesome. Now, think about this, okay? <laughs> you didn't have refrigeration back then. So if you're making mac and cheese... You got to pretty much gobble it all up, but it's not going to keep very long out on the counter. Or no, something. and and you have to make your own pasta too. That's right. You know, that's a really I didn't even think about the importance of the pasta itself because you do have to make that, and that and that again, that's a lot of work. That is. Yeah. I, I wonder if it was elbow macaroni back then, or if it was something else. I wonder if they used it. <laughs> Depends on when the Italians came up with, <laughs> and with the French. Well done. Well done. Well done, Jan. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate you being out there today. Thank you very much. Well, I, I, I appreciate you being out there for me to catch because I really do enjoy your show. Thanks, Jan. I'm going to go have some mac and cheese tonight. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to do it with spaghetti. We're going to mix it up. Mix and match, Pam Warner. We're going to mix and match the mac and cheese with spaghetti. I don't know. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So I got a direct message on the... uh, I got a direct message on X. I got to stop saying Twitter because I I keep calling it Twitter, but it's... It's... uh, it's X. So I got a question from somebody who asked me, and they said, Brett, did you have any hand in creating um, any parodies with Rush? The answer to that question is yes. I did have a hand in some of the stuff. Um, I will plead guilty to the creation of Chang Limbang, Ali Limbali, and um, we, we had another way, a third one. Uh, that was uh, Limbaki, and I, I don't know if we ever actually produced the Limbaki one, but I, I, I was with a guy named Eric Hastings, who's now a travel writer. We were both at, uh, at Two Penn Plaza in New York City, and we were kicking around an idea about uh, what if there were knockoffs around the world of Rush Limbaugh. Uh, and so Chang Limbang became, uh, became our first outing, and we deployed it on the morning show on WABC at that point. And uh, it went over big time. It went over big. It was like a, they played it like three times in one morning. And it, the word got to Rush. He didn't know I had written. He, he, I didn't say anything to anybody. It just me and Eric put it together. 
I wrote the script, and then he did a lot of the, he did the voices on it. And his voice, his ripoff of Rush was really pretty good. And so I'm sitting there, and Rush gets on the air. We're sitting in the studio, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, this, this show is being lampooned. It is being uh, lampooned. Uh, there is a, an, an imposter called Chang Limbang who is, uh, is, is trying to steal my bit. And so he, he played it on, on the EIB. And uh, after that, we, we, did, we did like three or four Chang Limbangs. And if you remember the EP3 plane, the force down of the plane at Hainan Island, there was a—the um, the Chinese communists— made our plane basically crash uh, over Hainan Island in China. And uh, they held our guys hostage for a long time. So what we the, the, the impetus for this was creating Chang Limbang, which was going to be a Chinese communist version of Rush, who was like trying to, uh, you know, sort of espouse a number of things. Um, and so basically it was a caller called in on the show. And he accused uh, Chang Limbang of going soft with the imperialists and this whole thing. And it became a whole became a whole thing. And so over a period of time, we, we did that. We did Ali Limbali. Uh, Ali Limbali was the uh, character that was in it was in Afghanistan. And that was the Afghanistan version of Ali Limbali of, of Rush Limbaugh. And then I think we had an we had an Iraqi one too, um, but it was it was really funny to to, to write those things and to do them uh, because he didn't know I did it. I mean, I was just the screener sitting there, and we had put it together. So um, that was that's what was awesome. The creativity and stuff, you know, flowed from from a lot of stuff. I, his his montages. I mean, he was the first guy to do montages on the radio the way he did with politics. Uh, you have you have all these incredible songs that were done by Paul Shanklin. Uh, some some of the stuff was was incredible. I I thought uh, at least for my bit, I, I thought one of the things that was incredible was. The whole deal with Atros uh, Perot, and uh, they he, they did a version of uh, "They're Coming to Take Me Away," and it was Atros Perot singing about getting knocked out of the 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 race back in what was that ninety two? Remember, he was running and he was hugely popular, and then all of a sudden he went sideways and accused George H W Bush of sabotaging his daughter's wedding. And do you? I don't know if you guys remember this or not. They said, uh, he said at one point that the CIA was trying to ruin his daughter's wedding by deploying um, lesbian women to come into the wedding. And everybody was like, what are you talking about? Like, what the heck? And then remember, he quit. Ross Perot quit for like five or ten days. And then he came back. And he never got the numbers again, like because people said, oh, OK, he's crazy. What, what are we doing here? And um, that was that was that was awesome. Uh, when H. Ross Pro debated Al Gore, that was another uh, phenomenal uh, moment as well. And there's there's this one drop that was in that parody bit where <laughs> where. Larry King is not is doing the debate between Al Gore or Al Gore and uh, Atros Perot. And he says, and what's your position? 
what's your position, Ross? And he goes, my position? I'm with the volunteers. I'm with the volunteers, Larry. That's what I'm doing. But there were so many incredible, I mean, My Boy Lollipop and, and, and of course, Up, Up, and Away, My Beautiful Balloon, and Klaus, uh, Klaus uh, and, and all of that stuff was just really, really funny, awesome stuff, man. They, they had some great people uh, doing incredible, uh, Paul Shanklin was, like, off the charts good and was funny as heck. I mean, we heard a lot of very funny stuff uh, that we would get to hear before we would go and put it up on the air, and that was, that was a really fun thing. Uh, all the way around, 704-570-1110. All right. Do you know, going back to the presidency thing, the president's, you know, it's President's Day, what seven different presidents did after their presidency? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you one. Following the end of his presidency in 1797, George Washington retired to Mount Vernon, where he continued to receive a large number of visitors in 1798 alone the Washingtons hosted as many as 677 guests. In order to supplement his income, the founding father set up a whiskey distillery, despite having no prior experience in distilling alcohol. It wasn't long before his business became one of the largest whiskey producers in America, operating five copper pot stills throughout the year. He became a distiller. In 1799, his distillery produced nearly 11,000 gallons of liquor. It's just about enough for the Kennedys, which he sold to his neighbors and stores in Alexandria and Richmond. The distillery became one of Washington's most profitable enterprises. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Brett Witterbull and Bo Thompson to start off a brand new week of broadcasting as we cross the streams. Brought to you by PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition. Bo Thompson, good to have you back. Brand new week of broadcast excellence. Yes, it is. It, indeed it is. Now, hold on a second. Hang on a second. Do you know which president is responsible for mac and cheese? For mac and cheese. For mac and cheese. I have no idea. Thomas Jefferson. I, I, that's that's one of the things I'm, I'm looking at for the uh, for for the President's Day holiday here. Thomas Jefferson is responsible for mac and cheese coming to America. That's As Wayne Campbell once said, I was not aware of that. <laughs> very good, very good. I like the see. I like the way you uh, you you approach this. All right, this is the week. That could determine a few things, if you know what I'm saying there, Bo Thompson. This is the week where we've got uh, a primary in South Carolina. Uh, do, do we think, do we believe that Nikki Haley will head on down the road, or is she going to continue this quest for the nomination against Donald Trump? What, what say you? I think she's going to stay in it until Super Tuesday. Mm. Um, I just heard uh, in the newscast and I heard chatter today. She wants a what a respectable showing on on you know on Saturday and and it sounds to me like she's sort of um, 
you know, adjusting expectations, but it just looks like uh, that the Trump train is in full gear and he's holding a rally in Rock Hill on Friday night, we now know. and mm-hmm. and um, But I, I, nothing that I've heard from her, uh, and we talked to her on the show last week, uh, obviously, it sounds to me like she's going to stay in it until at least Super Tuesday. But then then again, I mean, we've seen some, some, some quick exits that we weren't expecting, um, you know, uh, after New Hampshire. So, I mean, you never know. I mean, if she just gets... Uh, embarrassed on 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 Saturday in her own in her home state, then uh, I never say never in politics. But my gut is is that she's going to stick in at least until Super Tuesday, which is not that far away. Okay, so you and I are old enough to remember 2016. Is this sort of like the Kasich thing when you know Kasich wanted to stay into Ohio and then he triumphed in Ohio and he you know had balloons and all that kind of stuff? Is is that sort of kind of like what we're what we're seeing play out here? It's a good question, and if you remember, you know what the, the persona that Kasich adopted after that. Um, I don't know because I my big question is what's Nikki Haley's end game here? Uh, you know, is, is she going to be uh, the higher profile Chris Christie after this is over? Meaning that she's going to uh, uh, not endorse Trump and sort of try to be the voice of opposition uh, as as long as it takes. And then you never know what happens when you get to a convention setting. That's right. Um, you, you know, I, I don't know what her, or, or could she possibly uh, run as a third-party candidate? Uh, that's that's my, I mean, look, we're looking at the numbers. The numbers would indicate that Trump is going to win. So yes. if she's going to stick in either either t- through Saturday or for another couple of weeks, then what, what does she do? When it's over, she did say uh, in the interview last week with Beth and me that um, that any of the candidates, including Trump, is better than Joe Biden. So that would indicate, as she said, you know, in, in earlier cycles that she would endorse the nominee. But then again, we've seen this thing ratchet up and get pretty personal. So I guess it'll come down to whether or not she is true to what she said all along, that she doesn't take things personally in politics. And if that's true, then I guess that she... Uh, you know, the math would add up that she would endorse Trump. But it's certainly, it's certainly gotten, uh, as it always does at this stage, whoever the last two are or three, it gets, uh, it gets pretty personal. But I don't know what to say anymore because you and I have watched the traditional rules of politics for so many years, and then everything sort of has been upended in the Trump era, so I don't know what to say. You know, I, uh, see, I'm looking at it from the perspective of, okay, what would she do next, right? Obviously, she's she would theoretically um, have a pathway to something. Um, She's been high profile for, you know, these these last months. And so I'm wondering if she doesn't then forget about running like third party. I'm wondering if she doesn't join an operation like, say, CNN and become a high profile commentator uh, over there at that pro, over there at that platform. I don't think she would go to Fox, and I don't think she would go to MSNBC. I, I'm guessing like a CNN kind of a thing, and then she cultivates that following from now until 2028. She's still going to be very young in in, in 2028, um, and and potentially you know be angling for maybe a, a matchup with DeSantis again, or or, uh, or or Gavin Newsom or somebody like that an interesting thought i hadn't thought about her going to cnn but your point is well taken that is there a way that she can keep her name out there yes and stay in the conversation without being on the ballot 
uh, and without being necessarily at odds with 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 Trump mm-hmm. so much. I mean, because look, uh, when you're when you're in his crosshairs, mm-hmm. uh, and he's you know he is in full force on the on the Truth Social with the bird brain stuff and the uh, and, and 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 so if she, she could get to a point where she wasn't taking on that that sort of those those barbs on a daily basis, but still in the conversation. You're right, because as we've said many times, the one thing that is certain is that um, if Trump is elected, he can only serve four more years. So somebody's got to take the mantle. Somebody's got to take the baton. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as we've seen, uh, it, 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 and I keep thinking about Tim Scott. You know, yes. Tim Scott looks like right now uh, he's gaining traction on being the VP uh, nominee. But is that so good for Tim Scott? Is that so good for anybody? Because it. As we've seen, few people make it through an entire Trump administration and come out on the other end looking as good or as being uh, in the favor they were to start with. So maybe you're exactly right that if Nikki Haley really wants to uh, remain viable for 2028, she just needs to to be somewhere where she is at least not forgotten. See, she could if, if you really think about this, right, she could be sort of in that same vein as what Trey Gowdy has done at Fox. Um, a lot of credibility, uh, a lot of experience. Oh, by the way, another South Carolinian. Um, you know, I just I wonder if, if that wouldn't be a place because she wouldn't have to be adversarial with Trump, but she would be omnipresent, no doubt about it. And, um, you know, that, that that's I, I don't know. It, who knows what what the future holds? But I, I'm just wondering about that. You know, they, uh, and see, Trey Gowdy is an interesting one because I don't know exactly what his next move is. I mean, he's there on Sunday night, and right. uh, he's got a spot that's not going anywhere. But, but uh, is, is he there to biding his time to run for something else, or is he? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know what to make of him. Yeah. I have to ask Mick Mulvaney because you should. Well. Yes, that would be the. That's the guy who would know. He would have it absolutely uh, locked down in that in that in that regard. And look, I look, I could see. I, I I could see a I could see a Haley Mulvaney show on CNN. Just saying. Hey, you never know. You never know. I mean, you just you never. We're we're ideas people. That's what's good about us, Bo Thompson. Um, what do you have coming up on the big show tomorrow, my friend? What do you got? We have uh, a big announcement in the nine o'clock hour. Uh, Brett Jensen will join us as he always does from nine to ten. But in the nine o'clock hour at nine thirty-five, Dan Rakowski from the Charlotte Knights is going to join us, and we have uh, a big announcement about twenty twenty-four plans uh, for the Knights and for WBT's Sky Show twenty twenty-four. So uh, I know it's only February, but uh, it's cold, and if you need something to think about, uh, <laughs> getting into those summer months, and uh, one of our favorite. Uh, nights of the year, uh, the July 4th celebration. We have uh, exclusive first details in the new year about that with the uh, the COO of the organization. He'll join me in studio uh, tomorrow at 9:35. So be there for that. Be there or be nowhere. I appreciate you being there, my friend. And we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk tomorrow. Yes, sir. Have a good have a good night. Where are you coming from? News Talk 1110-993 WBT, Brett Witterbull Show, 704-570-1110. Good to be with you uh, today as we uh, journey across the 
uh, spectrum of stories that are out there moving uh, pretty much in real time. Uh, this comment coming in from Cameron Yards. Winterbull show, she can't go to MSNBC because historically they do not allow people that make sense. Now, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Uh, Ringo Best, 555 on Twitter, on, on X, says, hey, I just tuned into your show. Have you talked about the Eritrean riots in Charlotte on Saturday? I, I have not commented uh, about that, and I would certainly defer uh, to, to the folks here who, uh, who do want to comment on that. You're more than welcome to do that. The Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department said eight people were arrested on Saturday during a 10-hour protest and standoff that stemmed from an Eritrean uh, cultural event. Clashes erupted between rival groups of Eritreans and police confirmed that officers were trying to disperse the unlawful crowds and that they were attacked by people wielding sticks, rocks, and uh, other items. Uh, other items I- in that regard. Crowds also set a tractor on fire in North Carolina's largest city and police seized a total of two firearms over the course of several hours. The incident began shortly after 11.30 in the morning when CMPD's Providence Division responded to an unlawful protest happening in the parking lot of a business hosting an Eritrean cultural event on Monroe Road. Protesters were on the private property and were spilling out into the road, which prompted officers to close Monroe Road. Dispersal orders were repeatedly given to the protesters throughout the duration of the protest. However, they refused to disperse. And um, shortly after 3 p.m., the CMPD bike unit officers attempted to move protesters out of the street. Several protesters threw objects and pushed back against the officers. Well, that would be illegal. Officers then deployed pepper spray. Multiple protesters and officers were treated on the scene for injuries related to the pepper spray. Uh, The police said uh, during a time, a female protester struck an officer and a firearm was seized from her person. So this is somebody who was uh, uh, ready to bring the jazz, ready, ready to rock and roll here a little bit. Do you know, do you know where the phrase bring the jazz comes from? That, that is a, a reference in some, in some measure um, of uh, Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa would, would famously use that phrase, are you going to bring the jazz? I'll bring the jazz, which is such, <laughs> it's just such a dumb slang word from a very different time indeed. When vehicles had fins and mobsters slept with the fishes. See what I did there? Transposition. That was a transposition move right there. We, we are a welcoming community with the transposition moves that we, we are. Um, she was charged with inciting to riot, failure to disperse, injury to personal property, and assault on a government official. Okay, so I'm guessing that that would get you the jackpot for probably you know, a couple of, couple of something. I don't know if anybody was arrested. The charges for all eight suspects included impeding traffic and failure to disperse. Shortly after 6.30 p.m., dispersal orders were given again as protesters began blocking the entrance to the private business hosting the cultural event. CMPD's Civil Emergency Unit was deployed to disperse the crowds at 7.20. Now, the officers were met with violence and hostility, with protesters throwing objects. 
So at this point, isn't that, I mean, technically, I don't mean to be technical here, but technically, isn't this an unlawful protest, an unlawful gathering? If you're starting to throw things at the cops, like at that point, I think you need to get get in there and kind of handle the situation. I'm just guessing. I mean, I, I could be wrong. I, I, I have to look at my book from 2020 and see what the rules are now. Over the course of several hours, the CEU gave multiple dispersal orders in English and Spanish. They speak Spanish in Eritrea. Um, And were met again with violence from protesters, wielding sticks and rocks and other items. Protesters then intentionally set fire to a nearby tractor trailer. The Charlotte Fire Department quickly extinguished the fire and contained the scene. Shortly before 9 p.m., officers assisted with allowing the cultural event uh, attendees to leave the scene. Protesters remained on scene initially, but dispersed a short time later. The incident unfolded. The police department provided regular updates on X. One post illustrated how the Eritrean cultural event was being protested by a rival group, but more information was not readily available. Now, here's what's interesting. The North Carolina unrest happened the same day rioting broke out between two rival groups of Eritreans in the Netherlands. That'd be over in, you know, Holland. Police said officers there used tear gas in an attempt to quell the unrest. You know, one of the things that's interesting about what we're seeing going on here is the current prime minister of... The Netherlands went to the Munich uh, event uh, over the weekend and gave a speech to these uh, sorry, sad sack uh, politicians that are coming in from uh, the EU, that are coming in from NATO, that are coming in from the United States. And he said, listen, you have got to stop. Uh, hammering Trump, because if he gets elected, we're going to have to do business with him. And the reason why that prime minister of Holland got into that conversation was because he is likely the next man up or next person up to take over uh, the, the reins of NATO. So he he's sitting back saying, listen, why are you agitating against Trump if he gets elected? You know, we can go easy or we can go hard. And I, I don't I don't think that there's a there's a need for that. Uh, for us to be at, 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 I think the technical term is loggerheads. We, we don't need to be at loggerheads uh, in, in this regard. Uh, we have to wait and see how this is all going to uh, end up playing out. But look, you have a lot of diversity happening. You've got a lot of people who are, you know, staking out different positions. And, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those challenges. Art, welcome to the program. What's on your mind, Art? Hello? Hello, Art. What's on your mind? I I was just wondering why, when Rush died, that the EIB network could not have been kept going with uh, various conservative luminaries as the host on a rotating basis. Was any thought given to that? Uh, I'm not aware of any, like, specific conversation about that, but um, they, they, they went and they hired a couple of hosts who were very talented. And, uh, you know, it did go on in a different way. It's not 
it's obviously not what what Rush was because Rush has passed, but um, they 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 are still broadcasting uh, in that time slot at that at that period of time. Uh, Clay and Buck. So, um, Art, I appreciate that call. Thank you very much. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. News Talk 1110-993 WBT, the Brett Winterbull Show, 704-570-1110. Great to be with you today. So one of the the interesting things uh, about our country, and I I think there are so many cool things that we have had um, as as a nation. in terms of our leadership, we've had really bad leaders and we've had some tremendous leaders uh, throughout our history. And one thing that I always love to look at is what past presidents, because it is President's Day, and that's why many of you had the day off. The stock market was closed. There's no mail. Uh, when you look at some of the things that presidents have said about America, I think it's it's important, right? Obviously, you know, Thomas Jefferson. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Think of the eloquence of writing that that phrase. I mean, you're you're talking about maybe what, 30, 35 words in in this in this phrase and the vision for, for that. For the vision from that Franklin Roosevelt. The greatness of America is grounded in principles and not on any single personality. Now, what's interesting about that is he had four terms. He was elected four times. I would argue that the comment that he makes there kind of undercuts himself because the greatness of America is grounded in principles, not on any single personality. Well, certainly he was a looming personality that existed um, during during World War Two. And beforehand, obviously, as well. Ronald Reagan. How can we not believe in the greatness of America? How can we not do what is right and needed to preserve the last best hope of man on Earth? So when I read this quote from Reagan, I would turn this back on on you as as a, a citizen and as maybe somebody who voted for Reagan, maybe as somebody who came of age uh, under Reagan, h- however you look at that. How can we not believe in the greatness of America? How can we not do what is right and needed to preserve this last best hope of man on earth? Do you agree with what Reagan is talking about there? The idea of preserving this last best hope of man on earth. Is America still the last best hope of man on earth. 
There are people who would say no. There are people who would say, we are not. We have we have slid. It has the standards have gone down. We are living in late stage uh, Rome. Or are we still the last best hope of man on Earth? You, you can argue that we are a light to much of the world, but are we a light to the world because because we have money? We can fund wars. Is it because we have a, a strong military, relatively speaking, when, when you look at the rest of the world? Are we still that thing that he's alluding to? The last best hope of man on earth. You know, it was de Tocqueville who said famously, and he wasn't a president, obviously, the greatness of America lies not in being more enlightened than any other nation, but rather in her ability to repair her faults. I think this is one of my favorite political quotes ever, because what that quote does, what that quote does is it deals with the number one issue that we have got to deal with. And that is this idea that America is not perfect. America is a terrible place. America is awful. America's awful. Have you got the um, clip from Roland that, that, I, that I sent you? Roland Fry. It's, a, it's about a two-minute clip. I want to give you an example of something that I think was, was very interesting. I found this uh, earlier today. Um, this was a discussion about racially decided shootings by police officers. And there was a study that was done by an economist called Roland Fry. And he sat down to talk uh, with, with people over at the Free Press. And he was discussing what evidence he found when he undertook a massive project in this regard. And uh, this is about two minutes, but it's really eye-opening. Let her rip. I collected a lot of data. We collected millions of observations on uh, everyday use of force that wasn't lethal. We collected thousands of observations on lethal force. And, and it, it was in this moment in 2016 that I realized people lose their minds when they don't like the result. So what my paper showed, you'll see tomorrow, uh, like some of you, uh, was that, yes, we saw some bias in the low-level uses of force every day pushing up against cars and things like that. People tend to like that result. But we didn't find any um, uh, racial bias in police shootings. Now, that was really surprising to me because I expected to see it. The little-known fact is I had eight full-time RAs that it took to do this over nearly a year. When I found the surprising result, I hired eight fresh ones and redid it to make sure. They came up with the same exact answer, and I thought it was robust. And then I went to go give it, and my God, all hell broke loose. It was a 104-page, dense, academic, economics paper with a 150-page appendix, okay? It was posted for four minutes when I got my first email. This is full of shit. Doesn't make any sense. And I wrote back, how'd you read it that fast? <laughs> That's amazing. You are a genius. And I had colleagues take me into to the side and say, don't publish this. You'll ruin your career. Mm. I said, what are you talking about? 
I said, what's wrong with it? Do you believe the first part? Yes. Do you believe the second part? Well, it's the issue is they just don't fit together. We like the first one, but you should publish the, no, the second one another time. I said, let me ask this. If the second part about the police shootings, this is a literal conversation. I said to them, if the second part um, showed bias, do you think I would, should publish it then? And they said, yeah, then it would make sense. And I said, I guarantee you I'll publish it. We'll see what happens. So it was, it was you know, I, I lived under, under um, police protection for about 30 or 40 days. I had a seven-day-old daughter at the time. I remember going and shopping for it because, you know, when you have a newborn, you think you have enough diapers. You don't. So I, I was going to the grocery store to get diapers with the armed guard. It was crazy. It was really, truly crazy. Because of research. Because of research. This is where I turn to de Tocqueville and his comment. The greatness of America lies not in being more enlightened than any other nation, but rather in her ability to repair her faults. What is missing in the current culture is the notion of redemption of any kind. You say one word, make one face, do one thing, and you are to be terminated culturally. You are to be culturally terminated. You are not allowed to show your face. You have to have armed guards. You have to do all this sort of stuff. What the left wants most is Marxism. Marxism provides an intellectual and in some cases physical death penalty for people who are out of the orthodoxy. What genuine patriots believe in is the ability day in and day out to achieve redemption for when they have come up short. AOC, the squad, they never talk about redemption. They always talk about the cultural death penalty. And de Tocqueville understood because de Tocqueville understood the terrors of the communists in France. But that America did not have to fall to that fate because we had an ability based on the Constitution to repair our faults. And that's really all you can do. But the Marxist left, the communist left, believes that there is no such thing as redemption. There is only, only orthodoxy of thought. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Roland Fryer, that was the name of the uh, of the scholar. I called him Fry. It's uh, Ro- Roland Fryer, F-R-Y-E-R, uh, in, that, in that last clip. He's actually, um, he's at Harvard. He's a Harvard guy, which... If you're in the right political orientation, then you're a hero. But if you're not in the right orientation, then what are you? You're a villain, right? That's what we've been told. They measure you not based on your scholarship or your achievements. But they, but they ask you, they ask you, 
um, to follow the orthodoxy. Hello, Sandra. Welcome to the program. Yes. Hey, Brett. I, Brett, uh, sorry, I meant Brett. That's okay. I wanted to make a comment about what you said about earlier, our found, one of our founding fathers making the comment about, or statement about our country being, what, the last great... The last uh, best hope. The last best hope. Uh, the last best hope. There you go. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I was outside walking and listening to you, and, you know... I don't think we are. I think we're, I mean, I love my country. Mm -hmm. I've called in a time or two, and I'm a veteran, uh, and I love my country. But when we come to a point, I was just telling a teammate on my job today Mm -hmm. that when we come to a point in our country that when I am... I believe a true conservative. Mm -hmm. I don't go around pushing my values on anyone. But when we come to a point in our country that the federal government is allowing these organizations, and hey, I love everybody, Mm -hmm. but you are in it. We're in a free country. You've got a right to live your life as you please. Yes. But when they start infringing and pushing their stuff on, into me and my life, and that I have to agree, and I've got to side with them when I don't push my values on them. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is right. Uh, it is, it's wrong. We've always been a country that, you know, this wasn't like this. And I'm trying to think back, Brett, it hasn't been that long ago that this stuff started. And uh, I don't like it, because if you are a Christian in this country, mm-hmm. there's many instances that Christian businesses, groups, have had to get a lawyer when they never should have had to. If it mm-hmm. would have been that other group and they had an issue, uh, it would have been dropped. So, That's the way I feel. So and let, me ask you, let me ask you a question, Sandra. Sure. Do you think are Christians too soft in this country right now? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, you better believe it. But uh you know um well, I will you know, I'm thankful for a pastor that he stands up and preaches what I feel like is God's word. And I love all people. You just don't like you don't love the sin. But you love the person. Sure, sure. But, you know, where does it, where, what happened in our country that there's such a lack of respect anymore? Uh, like the person out West, when they would not make the cake for the uh, couple, Yes. Uh, then that person had... What was that uh, judicial group, the lawyer, I forgot, the Christian uh, organization? Yeah, uh, I, I, I think Alliance Defending Freedom, I think, might have been who There was. you go. Yeah. If they hadn't have stepped in, Brett, mm-hmm. that couple who, you know, just were upholding their values, that couple had a right to their values. Why couldn't they go down the street and mm-hmm. find somebody else that probably made as pretty as a cake as those couple. It's almost like uh, 
Well, it's it's you they're targeting they're they're targeting what they're doing is they're exactly. they're targeting the exact linchpin that they know they can harm as opposed to just going and finding somebody who would I mean if if I you know if if I decided I wanted to uh, do a uh, a home improvement project on my house and somebody came to me and said, "You know what? I don't I don't like I don't like your neighborhood. I don't like where you live. I don't feel like doing the project." I'd say, "Okay, thank you very much. Good luck with everything." And I'm going to go find right. somebody who wants to actually be in business with me for a, a, a lucrative project or a, a cake project or whatever it is. And I, I think I think what you said was very important. The idea that you hate the sin, but it doesn't mean you hate the person. And, oh, I love everybody. And, Absolutely. Right. And, and what we have to also remember is uh, we have an inherent right as human beings to cast judgment in our own mind or with our own voice. I mean, we, we have the right that as a human being, we judge exactly. constantly. I judge. I'm not going to go in that restaurant because it's got a bad score. Uh, I'm not going to exactly. go. I'm not going to go um, uh, park my car in this in this parking lot because there's a lot of, you know, there, there's there's a lot of, uh, of, of of car windows that have broken in there. And I, I don't want to put my car in a dangerous spot. We use judgment all the time. But what exactly. we, but what what was the big what was the big narrative that we had from the 1960s into the 1970s? You can't judge. Don't judge. No, no, you have to judge. Otherwise, you you need oh, you need poison. Oh, I, exactly. <laughs> you know, and it, oh, it's it's so true. You know, some of I'm not a young person. I'm 62. Mm-hmm. Both of my parents, my dad last year passed away, and my mom many many years ago. Uh, but, um, you know, back then, my dad came through the Depression, mm-hmm. and even though he knew what hard times was, sure, it's like, back then, I was telling a person, I, I can't put into words mm-hmm. how I feel about, and God knows I'm not perfect. No, no, I get it. I get it. Sandra, but, I'm up against the yeah. clock, but th- thank you so much for being a part of the conversation we got plenty more straight ahead. Thank you so much, Sandra. I really appreciate you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's the Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Moonbeams. Oh, listen, just one more thing. The following takes place between 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. News Talk 1110. 98-99-100% here, ladies and gentlemen. 704-570-1110. Good to be with you. I came across a piece over at the Atlantic. This is from June 2nd of 2023. So I don't want you thinking this is a brand new piece. But Peter Turchin wrote this uh, article over there. America is headed toward collapse. History suggests how to stave it off. How has America slid into its current age of discord Why has our trust in institutions collapsed? Why have our democratic norms unraveled? They go on to say, 
All human societies experience recurrent waves of political crisis, such as the one we face today. My research team built a database of hundreds of societies across 10,000 years to try to find out what causes them to fail. We examined dozens of variables, including population numbers, measures of well-being, forms of governance, and frequency with which rulers are overthrown. We found that the precise mix of events that leads to crisis varies, but two drivers of instability loom large. The first, popular immiseration. When the economic fortunes of a broad swath of a population decline. The second and more significant is elite overproduction. When a society produces too many super rich and ultra educated people and not enough elite positions to satisfy their ambitions. I could have saved you a ton of money with this. Come on now, this idea that they come out and they say data is going to prove to you over the last 10,000 years. Are you kidding me? You don't know what the circumstances were at a given point in history 9,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, 4,500 years ago. All you know is somebody could have just run into the into into the uh, the castle and killed the king and left and then just became the king. The norms that have taken root in this modern age are easily understandable. Number one, the only reason why the people on the left are talking about the likely position of collapse, etc., is because they're losing. They're losing. Are you winning or are you losing right now? As an individual, are you winning or are you losing? The answer most likely is, well, it depends. It depends. What is the timeline for winning and losing? Is the timeline four years? Is the timeline one week? What is the timeline? What is it that you are either winning or losing? See, everybody's going to have a different answer. But here's the problem. When you filthy people who decided to get on board the Trump train, the deplorables, as they called you, back in 2016, got involved in politics, do you know what you were? You were the echo of the awful Christians that came into the body politic when Ronald Wilson Reagan was running in 1980. Don't you see the similarities between the argument? Don't you see the similarity between the circumstances? We didn't need any Christians coming into politics. They should just stay out with their judgment. That was the mentality in 1980. Coming off of the swinging years of the 60s and the 70s, Vietnam and all that sort of stuff. Why would the Christians want to be involved? At a basic level, they wanted to be involved because of Roe versus Wade. They wanted to make sure that life would be preserved. They wanted uh, those sorts of things to happen. And the same sorts of things that are written today about the deplorables and Trump are the same arguments that were made back then by Tip O'Neill and Joe Biden and the the, the typical sort of run of the mill uh, Democrat machines. You have to understand, as as Mark Twain famously said, 
History doesn't repeat itself, but it does. It does rhyme from time to time. Cycles work this way. Cycles work this way. But this period of time is not 1980, and 1980 wasn't 1950, and 1950 wasn't 1920. There are challenges that we face over time. But what the left wants, and, and not even the left, it's, it's really the, the wealthy, ultra-rich, elite, Harvardians, etc. What they really want is for you to just shut up. Don't be involved. It's why they call you deplorables. You ruined it when you didn't let Hillary Clinton win two terms. Because it was hard work, she said. Hard work. Oh, the deplorables, the baskets of deplorables. You're, you're, you're homophobes, you're Islamophobes, you're people who hate everybody else. If you had just let Hillary win, mm, everything was going to be all right. Everything was going to be all right. She'd have taken office in 2017, gotten reelected in, in 2020. And then she'd be on her way out the door. Joe Biden coming in or Michelle Obama coming in or uh, whoever was going to be the next one up, they would come in and they would dominate for another two terms. And you would just have to sit there and take it. You did something you're not supposed to do. You stood up and said, no, thank you. We choose something else. We had enough with William Jefferson Clinton. We, we had enough with Barack Hussein Obama, with Joseph Robinette Biden. We had enough of all of these people trying to tell us that we're going to be told how we're going to live our lives. Nope, sorry, you're wrong. It's a bad choice. The very fact that you decided to get involved in politics, however that is manifest, however that is manifest was your original sin in their mind. Now, what they want to do is drive you out of the battlefield. What they want to do is drive you off the pitch. What they want to do is make you feel like you're a weirdo and you don't count and you have a chance to support someone like Nikki Haley, who is a really acceptable person in their mind. Well, here's the crazy thing. When it comes to warfare, and politics is warfare by other means, let's be honest here. You don't get to pick your field generals on the other side. You have to pick your field general, and they pick their field general, and then you see how the matchup looks. You don't get to pick your opponent. And that they hate more than anything. We don't need you crazy People, we don't need you Christian people. We don't need you war hawk people. Yeah, you do. Because that's just another term for a majority. The majority of people fall into the thing that the elites hate most. The majority.
News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It is the Brett Witterbull Show, 704-570-1110. Good to be with you today. So there's now a uh, there's now a, a fear of uh, something else that's coming our way. And then the far-right social media network Gab now hosts a Hitler chatbot sparking fears over AI's ability for online radicalization. There's no point arguing with Adolf Hitler, who only self-victimizes and is unsurprisingly a Holocaust denier. This is not the real Hitler, risen from the dead, of course, but something equally concerning, an artificial intelligence-powered chatbot version of the fascist dictator responsible for the mass genocide of European Jews throughout World War II. Created by the far-right U.S.-based Gab social network, Gab AI is also host to numerous chatbot characters, many of whom emulate or parody famous historical and modern-day political figures, including Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin, and Osama bin Laden. So they launched this in January of 2024. It allows users to develop their own AI chatbots, describing itself as an uncensored AI platform founded on open-source models. So this is the pearl clutching crew of people that are going to be out there telling you that you're going to be radicalized by a an AI Hitler. Now, I know you won't be and I won't be, but there's always fringes of people. But here's the problem, and this is a serious issue that we ought to address. There have always been fringe people. There have always been fringe groups. There have always been, for lack of a better word, kooks. There are kooks that are running around at any given time and place. And now I know I'm not supposed to judge. We're not supposed to judge the kooks. But the kooks are around there. You kind of know who they are. And it's sort of different for everybody. You'll you'll look at one group of people and you'll say, ah, there's some kooky people. Like, for example, furries. I don't get it. People wear these outfits. They go marching around. Comic-Con. Sneaker-Con. To me, it feels like it's all a con. I don't want to be a part of any of that. It's just not my thing. But I'm not kind of weird. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's a fact. And I hate to say what I'm going to say, but I have things to do. I am too busy to go to a con, whatever the con is. I don't care what the con is. I don't want to go. First of all, I don't want to get conned, number one. Number two, I don't want to go look at sneakers all day. I don't want to look at hats all day. I don't want to look at people in furry outfits all day. I, I really, I, I really, I just don't have the energy for it. You know what I want? Seriously, you know what I want? I want everybody in this audience to be, to be profitable. I want everybody in this audience to be a success. That is really how I feel. Now, if you... If you're taking my intentions and turning it towards the kookery, count me out. But I want to see you succeed. I want to see you achieve your dreams, assuming it's not loony like Hitler AI. Um, But I want to see you succeed. I want to see people do well. I want to see people having choices and opportunities. The whole reason why you have a loser like Adolf Hitler who, who had to come running around every place was, number one, he was nuts. Number two, he was evil. And number three, he took advantage of people in a desperate situation. 
the number one way you can save this country is not to allow this country to get into a desperate situation. How do you avoid that? Very simple. Don't silo yourself. Don't take yourself and silo yourself away from other people. You have the ability to interact with human beings. You know, I, I saw a package uh, over the weekend uh, over on uh, the, the Foxy Friends, uh, and, and they were talking about uh, how, how miserable online dating is and how people have gotten totally burned out by, by dating with apps and all that sort of stuff. I, I, I try to project myself into the current milieu, and, and I try to think about how it is I would go out and get a date if, if I were out on the market. Ladies, I'm not. I'm happily married to a wonderful woman and have been for years. Let me tell you this, though. You have got to meet people face to face. You got to get off the phone. You got to get off the laptop. You got to get off your, your tablet, whatever it is. And you got to actually go out there and interact with human beings. And I know it's going to feel weird at first because people, uh, I hate to tell you this, there's a lot of people who were very excited about the lockdowns with COVID. Do you know who those people were? Do you know? Weirdos. I prefer interaction with human beings. I prefer conversations on the radio. I prefer conversations in person. I think that's hugely important. You see, I've referenced this book in the past. It was written by a Harvard professor called Bowling Alone. And it was a warning that he put out back in the 1990s that said, unfortunately, people are not going to the bowling alleys to go bowling. They're bowling alone. They're staying home at home and they're not interacting. And the civic threads of society are starting to come apart. That's not how you should live. You should live in a vibrant constitutional republic that affords you the opportunity to go to a park, an event, a gathering, what have you. But unfortunately, because so many people spend all of their time hiding in their homes, as opposed to getting out and being part of it, you have criminals taking over cities. You have illegal migrants taking over the border. You have people who want to do mal adjusted things in public what do i mean pooping peeing sexing whacking whatever that is people do not want to see that and so what happens is the people say i'm not going to go to that piece of territory i'm not going to go to that place because i don't feel safe i don't feel sanitary i don't feel like being harassed or better yet harangued by people who want to be antisocial. The way you stop the antisocial from controlling everything is to go in and be social with your own group of people and do something about it. Somebody should save us. Who? Who? You. You're an adult. You're a man. You're a woman. You're a declined to state. Okay, I understand that. But you can have a hand in restoring... What we are losing, it's not our society, it's just a corner here and there. So, of course, people that want to go talk to a robotic Hitler thing on Gab are going to go do that. But the overwhelming majority of people are not. Because we have an L-I-F-E 
life. Say, I'm not ready to surrender my country. I'm not ready to walk off the battlefield. And I'm not ready to, to put up with the nonsense that's going on here. Judgment is important. Having it, discerning it, and casting it. Not everything is good for everybody. Except, except for your freedoms, which are conferred upon you for the power of good. Do, do you want to be governed by Hillary Clinton? Do you want to be governed by Kamala Harris? Do you want to be governed by, by these people who want nothing but to wield power and force you to your knee in front of them? No, the answer is no. The answer is no. Be bold, be confident, be strong, and understand the convictions you carry. Because if you do, you don't have to worry about being convicted in a court of law. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. News Talk 1110-993 WBT. It is the Brett Winterbull Show, 704-570-1110. Good to be with you. I want to, uh, I'm going to flip the script here a little bit. I want to play some sound from across the weekend, and you'll understand why uh, in, in a second. So over the weekend, you had the uh, NBA All-Star Game, and LeBron James was asked uh, at the conclusion of the game when he was uh, press availability, hey, are you, you, know, are you thinking about uh, tr- transitioning? Are you thinking about leaving? Are you thinking about retiring? Are you thinking about all those sorts of things? And he, he said something that I thought was interesting because you remember when Kobe Bryant uh, was, was out there on his, on his retirement tour. You remember when um, any number of other players, uh, Kevin Garnett, uh, we're out there on the tour, my, uh, you know, you, you name it, Michael Jordan and, and of course, the, the other greats like uh, Magic Johnson, etc. When, when you think about leaving the game that you've been a part of for, you know, t- 22 years, whatever it is for LeBron, because he came in as a kid, um, he was asked about this. And his answer about, hey, what are you looking for uh, afterwards? Is this? I never really talked about it much, but it's just a weird feeling for me. So, to to go in each city, if that's the case, I don't know. I've seen I've seen Mike's, I've seen Kobe's, I've seen a lot of guys. Um, I just don't know how much I how I feel. I don't know if I would feel great about it. Maybe the only child in me, maybe, but um, but I don't know. Um, but I am a Laker, and uh, I am I'm happy and been. Very happy being a Laker the last six years. He was saying he doesn't seek praise. He doesn't seek praise. He doesn't feel comfortable being praised if you go to all these different uh, all these different uh, arenas uh, on a farewell tour. And he said, you know, that's that's it's not something I feel very comfortable with uh, people celebrating me in that in that way. Jason Tatum is a superstar for the uh, for the Boston Celtics. And admittedly, I am a Celtics fan, but there's a reason why I'm playing these clips, because I think they're interesting. Jason Tatum was in the locker room, and 
Um, you had a couple of people coming in there talking. One of them was Larry Bird, and he wanted to talk to Larry Bird, but Larry Bird departed the locker room before he got a chance to have a conversation. Then he saw him out on the floor and decided he wanted to talk to him and introduce himself. And here's here's what he said happened next. And I got a chance to go meet him and tell him how you know much of an honor it was to meet him. And uh, you know he told me he was looking forward to meeting me. So that was crazy. Obviously, what he means to the game, what he means to the city of Boston and the Celtics, and you know he's the ultimate Celtic. So it was a it was an honor to meet him. So Larry Bird gave a uh, gave an address, and it was a very interesting conversation. He he actually started off by recognizing the ABA guys, the ABA guys that he said uh, he watched uh, on 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 television. Uh, he would have to go out there. He would have to go out there and. Uh, adjust the antenna at his father's house until his father told him that the, that the signal was coming in properly. Uh, Larry Bird made a very profound point here, and it's, it's interesting because you don't hear this a lot from the current crop of NBA players. And he, he gave, he, he gave a, a shout-out to a particular process that I think a lot of people take for granted— but he doesn't take for granted. If we never got a college scholarship, would we ever be able to play in the NBA? I don't think so. I think that scholarship that we got in college paved the way for us because we couldn't afford to go to college. You know, if I walked in and asked my dad for money to go to college, he ain't got no money. He'd probably slap me upside the head and go, go, go get a job like I did. But I know everybody in here that had an opportunity to get to college and pave the way. And, and I know for myself that once I got in the league, it was a blessing. It paved the way for my family and I to have a great life, uh, live a great life. I mean, it's just unbelievable of how things turned out for me. You know, gratitude is something that's in short supply in a lot of ways. Um, and, and the idea that here he hearkens back to getting a scholarship, which offered him the opportunity to get out there and, and to pursue his dream and his passion. That's really in- incredible. And when you think about what that looks like in the NBA um, for someone who got a scholarship and got the ability to play at the elite level. And then your mind has to start to wander and you start to think, how many people didn't get a scholarship and as a consequence never really had the shot to get in there and to play at that level? I mean, if you if you really think about that idea of, of what that is like, I can't imagine it. I, 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 I didn't have uh, scholarships offered to me uh, for sports or anything else, but I, I knew what it meant to grind. And I knew what it meant to, to try to get out there and to, to do something really, you know, important, at least with your life to the extent that you can do that. But it's it's refreshing to hear him standing there saying, we wouldn't be here doing this, whatever this is, um, if we hadn't gotten scholarships. I mean, asking his dad for the money and he says, my dad said, would say, I ain't got no money. Uh, you got to go get a job. I mean, imagine that. Like, that's. That's that's the difference. That razor's edge is the difference. 
What if somebody uh, on a particular day was was scouting him and said, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't really see it. (sighs) I just don't think he's going to be the guy that's going to be able to pull that off. And somebody makes that decision. I mean, you you, you think about artists, right? You think about artists, musicians, um, and they've all got stories of record labels passing on them or 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 telling them that yeah, you're not really going to be able to do this it's not going to work for you uh, it's just not going to happen for you at that point you you have that opportunity to decide whether or not you're going to continue to pursue or you're going to quit or you're going to pivot so that you get another shot at maybe being successful you know the difference between success and failure i mean is it's a razor's edge and it's about giving your best self to that passion that you're seeking. And, you know, when you when you think about what LeBron James said with the idea of saying he doesn't take praise well, and then you think of, of Jason Tatum saying that he was excited to meet Larry Bird, he hadn't met him. And Larry Bird saying that he was excited to meet him. And then it gets back to gratitude. It's, 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 to me, it's fascinating. Who was the worst president of all time? It is the last uh, little bit of uh, President's Day. And, of course, people always want to know, like, who's the worst? People can, I think, maybe agree on who the best was. But, you know, they call it the GOAT, right? The greatest of all time. Well, you know what they call the worst president of all time? The WOAT. The W-O-A-T. The worst of all time. See, I would like to see more WOAT records. Like, I would like to see more stuff attributed to... People who are just abject disasters. Now, it's not going to be surprising. You're going to recognize a lot of the people on this list. But as uh, Tyler Durden put up uh, over at uh, with Tom Rabby versus the uh, via the spectator. I don't know about you, but I'm all worn out with the goat thing. Every category has a greatest of all time. And while it makes for pregnant discussion it does get a little exhausting arguing whether michael jordan or lebron james is the goat of pro basketball whether tom brady earns such a moniker or or if the designation should go to joe montana or now after the super bowl triumph patrick mahomes then a couple of weeks ago two goat football coaches left their jobs nick saban and bill belichick one voluntarily the other not And everything in the media was goat, goat, goat all the time. All goat all the time. But now it's time to give a little exposure to the woat, the worst of all time. Who are the worst of all time? Especially on President's Day weekend. He points out that this is a more restrictive discussion because we must choose a category in which participants are limited. You could not really acclaim... Any single major league baseball player is the worst of all time because of the pool of qualified candidates numbers in the thousands. You might get away with designating the worst NFL quarterback of all time. But even then, 
contenders are legion, and some of whom are unknown even to the cognoscenti. For every Ryan Leaf, there may be a true El Stinko quarterback for the 1947 Chicago Cardinals, whose name everybody has forgotten. No, the category has to be pretty narrow. The Supreme Court might be fertile ground, as the number of justices is limited. But apart from legal scholars, who can name any justices from the 1870s? Vice presidents? Possibly, but it's difficult to tell which is good and which is bad, much less the worst. As they don't do anything to begin with. And besides, it's impossible to totally obliterate recency bias in that contest because Kamala would win in a landslide. Senators, you'd have a 500-way tie for first place. (laughs) It's right there. So on the President's Day weekend, we honor the chief executives of the past and the present. The only category that makes sense is President of the United States because there's only been 45 of them. So the rule is that they must have served one full term to be WOTE eligible. So it eliminates a number of attractive candidates. Warren Harding, Millard Fillmore, Chester Arthur, John Tyler. It also technically cuts out Andrew Johnson. Well, wait a minute. That would also cut. Wouldn't that also cut out JFK? JFK didn't make a, a full term. While it would be plausible to simply list the presidents in near proximity to the Civil War and leave it at that, a more expansive and nuanced view of the office is required. And while he will probably blow away the field once he's eligible, it seems unfair to include in the current president. He has nine more months to pad his resume and lead in his wokeness. With this in mind, here are the nominees. Franklin Pierce, one of a number of pre-Civil War compromisers, Pierce was passionate about adding new slave states to the Union and also signed the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which allowed residents of new states to decide whether to allow slavery. And the Fugitive Slave Act, although from New Hampshire, he was a Jackson Democrat who even proposed at one point annexing Cuba as another, fla- as another slave state, even while enlisting a, a pretty good author to write his campaign uh, bio, his buddy Nathaniel Hawthorne, he failed to be renominated for his party in the 1856 race. Jimmy Carter says something about one's presidency when one is called the best ex-president of history, from Killer Rabbits to Billy Beer, from his crisis and confidence speech, known as the Malays speech, to the Iran embassy crisis and the aborted desert rescue. The presidency of the man from Plains was marked with risability and retreat. Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson. On the plus side, while president, the Tennessean, did resist fellow Southerners who tried to undo the results of the Civil War, also after leaving office, Johnson broke the political mold by showing humility and returning to public life in a lesser capacity, like John Quincy Adams, by serving in the U.S. Senate. But he was a political oaf who made numerous tone-deaf mistakes, showing indifference to the plight of newly emancipated blacks to the point of opposing the 14th Amendment. Plus, he was impeached 
which is contrary to some current spin, still a bad thing. And survived removal by all of one vote. Lyndon Baines Johnson, LBJ. LBJ. Another of the Johnson boys, Lyndon did as much damage internationally as he did domestically. He gave us steadiness. JFK gave us Camelot. LBJ ratcheted up Vietnam to its height. As Bill Murray said in Stripes, when it comes to war, we're 10 and 1. And LBJ is pretty much responsible for the one. He also followed up the New Deal with the Great Society program, which nobody thinks is great anymore. James Buchanan. James Buchanan. It's a rough one. History has not been kind to James Buchanan as a close consensus number one as you can possibly get. Think of him as the gopher ball served up to Abraham Lincoln. He is the Ray McLean to Lincoln's Vince Lombardi. The Mike Shula to Lincoln's Nick Saban. Even before becoming president in 1856, he was he was a a tergiversator with no equal supporting measures that perpetuated the North-South division like the Kansas-Nebraska Act and in his inaugural address encouraging the Dred Scott decision. Once in office, his hands went perpetually numb from sitting on them. Barack Obama. No such list would be complete without the president who vowed to fundamentally change America, even though most of America pretty much liked the way America was. He also had the opportunity to heal or at least radically improve relations in America, but opted to play the same old grievance game. So uh, there, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Those are the nominees uh, from uh, from the candidacies. Of the worst of all time, Franklin Pierce, Jimmy Carter, Andrew Johnson, Lyndon Johnson, James Buchanan and Barack Obama. Now, hold on one second. Wait a minute. Hold on. Wait a minute. Um, ooh, something just hit me. Ooh, Franklin Pierce, Jimmy Carter, Andrew Johnson, Lyndon Johnson. James Buchanan, Barack Obama. Not an R in the bunch. Not an R in the bunch. Wait a minute. Let me look at the ruling on the field. Let me look at the ruling on the field here, okay? Uh, Let's look. Yep. Yep, it's a runaway. Every one of them is a Democrat. Pre-Civil War, post-Civil War, LBJ. I mean, come on. Is there not one stinker Republican in the bunch? Not really. I mean, who are you going to throw in the mix? Hoover? Who are you going to throw in the mix? I mean, my gosh, for my money... My favorite president of all time. And don't get offended. Don't get offended. I'm going back to the way back. Silent cow. Calvin Coolidge sworn in by his father 
as the president of the United States in Vermont, in Vermont, Calvin Coolidge was the man. You know why Calvin Coolidge was the man? Because Calvin Coolidge cared about the forgotten man. Do you know who the forgotten man is? The forgotten man is what happens when this guy and that guy make a decision to implement a new policy and they expect the third guy to pay for it with no say-so. That is the forgotten man. The forgotten man is not somebody who is trying to achieve something, toiling in the dark of night. No, 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 no. The forgotten man is the man who has to pay for the garbage that government puts out. That's the forgotten man. And that's the person that you should always remember. When the time came for Calvin Coolidge to run again, he answered with a very specific sort of answer. I do not choose to run. I do not choose to run. That guy, that guy is one of the most underappreciated American politicians in human history. And you want to know something that's incredible about that? It's exactly how the guy wanted to do it. He wanted to be left alone, wanted to leave you alone, and never, ever, ever wanted to see the government take out a loan. Circle of life. Thanks to uh, Isaac. Thanks to TJ. Thanks to Anna and Pam. You know what we got coming up next? Oh, you're going to love it. It's the Coaches Show. It's the Hubert Davis Show coming up. Talking Tar Heels. I am Brett Witterbull. It's been a real pleasure to spend this time with you today. Follow me on Twitter at Winterbull Show. And if you have a mind to, come with me on a great trip. Tourwithbrett.com. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Enjoy the Hubert Davis Show. WBTAM Charlotte, WBTFM Chester, WLNKHD2 Charlotte, WBT, your home.